0: Hello, and welcome to another Sports Next Door podcast. My name is Owen. Today is Monday, March 7th, and I'm joined, as I always am,
1: by my neighbor Max. How's it going, my friend? Pretty well. Successfully asked for a raise today at the end of a fairly busy work week. And all other things aside, that just a skill you hear about as, and kind of I've come to think about as like how much can you extract from this? You can always should be able to like negotiate more. And it's like on you to get as much as you can out. And there's just something so intimidating about doing it. Um, I've done it twice now, I guess. And it's kind of just a process I feel really good about after the fact, like regardless of whatever the financial gain is, just in more of a personal growth setting, something about thinking about it, laying out your case and Calmly presenting it and hearing it agreed with is really satisfying, and I'm feeling good about that. And also, hope I caught you a little off guard there by throwing a curveball in that had nothing to do with the last ten minutes of talk before we went on air. <laughs>
0: yeah, I'm sure. Um, not something I've done yet, but definitely a good point you raised. Not just about the the fact that. You're obviously making this important ask, but it is an important skill to have career-wise, professionally, to know your own value and know mm-hmm. what you bring to a situation. And uh, that allows you to have that confidence and be able to back up what you're asking for. So congratulations. That's sweet. And uh, yeah, I <laughs> definitely does throw me off guard, but it, it makes me think about well, should I be asking for a raise on this podcast? Like what 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 value am I bringing here? Am I confident in what I'm providing? Bump that salary up from a 0
1: to 0? Yeah, I was going to say times 100 on the spot. There you go, buddy. <laughs> Let's go. Like stock options too. <laughs> All yeah, the way yeah. To the moon? you you'll I'll bump you from 33.3% of the sports next door stock to uh how about 40? Take 40. All right. What are you at? I have the other 60, bud. Okay.
0: All right. All right. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you.
1: <laughs> How's your week? That, been? that seems fair. Yeah. yeah. Good. Good.
0: Um, better start to the week than previously. Feeling good coming out. I went to the office today, first Ooh. time in a while. So I uh, was being product- productive in a different setting and uh, nice to see some folks. And it looks like with things opening back up, there will be a more opportunities for more activities and more time in the workplace, which is, it's interesting to think about, but I think I actually want to do it because of that ability to just have a more social atmosphere for a while there. I did love working from home, but it really does get to a point where you can only do the same thing in the same four walls all day.
1: So we drive around the city a lot and oftentimes at the end of a job, especially now that I've started metroing as opposed to biking, I can just go straight home without being in the truck as we drive back to the shop. But a couple of times last week, I actually just decided like I could get off here, but I'll actually go back to the shop and one of those days happened to like catch another coworker who just yo- yoinked some beers out of the fridge and was like, here, have a beer with me. And our boss came down and like hung out with us as we chatted and definitely something to that connectedness. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's nice to, it adds a little more value. Uh, I I know what you're saying. Yeah.
0: It's just, those are the moments that you don't get when you go over zoom and that's yeah. something hopefully you and I can have in, in the future here. We oh still have God. yet to have an in-person podcast.
1: <laughs> it almost feels sacred now. Like we have to do something so special for it. Like if we were both just casually in Toronto this summer, I don't know if I'd be emotionally ready for that.
0: Yeah. I really don't know what that'll look like. Um, <laughs> it will be, it will be interesting. We'd have to have a, a fairly significant space and some yeah. time and thought put into it.
1: And we've also gotten like relatively so good at breaking down all the inefficiencies of Zoom communication. Like in a normal Zoom call, I think there'd be a lot more pauses, like where normally you're reading body language, interrupting is just a little more awkward. And I think we circumnavigate maybe 90% of that pretty well. I don't know how that would translate to in person Then (laughs) if we'd be so hypersensitive of not interrupting each other.
0: Yeah, it's curious. It's a curious notion. Um, we'll find out one day. But until today, until that day, we will continue here on our Zoom and, and kick off another wonderful week in sports. Uh, Max has, has got his recap of this weekend's combat events. Uh, we'll talk a little bit of combine. We'll talk a little bit of tennis. And then we'll finish things up with some basketball. It is March. And so you know, there's a pretty exciting tournament just on the horizon for us to talk about. So we'll have the first of a couple primers to get the uh, casual basketball fan ready, ready to go for March Madness. But until then, Max, uh, we'll kick it off with some combat corner.
1: Yeah. Uh, UFC, Masvidal versus Covington happened this past weekend. We'll touch briefly on the main event first. Uh, Oh, it pretty much went exactly as I described how it would go. I don't know how well you remember that. But the qualities of both fighters, the relentless grindy pressure of Covington versus Masvidal's stylistic inability to always have it on the highest gear he wants to punch in accelerate and then take his foot off the gas and coast at times and you just knew that without that one big punch or several of them it wasn't that tendency was really going to get him to trouble against Covington and a couple of big moments for Masvidal but Not able to capitalize, and that results in Colby doing what he does. Gets a pretty dominant, very decisive victory over Masvidal. Huge for his stock. Um, More interesting than the fight result is kind of the matchmaking for me. Where do each go from there for Colby? I think the Poirier call-out's pretty fun. It continues this ATT beef, which he's now elevated to the level after talking so much smack to Masvidal, calling him a career journeyman, street-fighting bum, and then basically making him look like that in the octagon. That raises the hype for a fight against Poirier, a fighter from that gym, a fighter Colby has also talked, a fighter who I would say has been at a more elite level for a longer time than Masvidal in terms of title contention, uh, just the type of opponents he's faced, and a fighter who's talked pretty openly about moving to welterweight. Uh, Colby, a small welterweight for sure. I don't think there's a crazy build advantage. That is a stylistic fight matchup I'd love to see, and all the trash talk is there. With Colby occupying this space of being seeming better than most guys at welterweight, um, but having fought and lost to Usman twice, he's in a really awkward place. The only other thing I can see for him is the winner of Burns Chimaev, which is a super exciting fight. At welterweight, but if Ch- comes out wins, just give him the title shot. Give him Usman. Like, it, let's not have one of those shoulda, woulda, coulda moments where he challenges for the belt two years later than he should have. If he can beat Burns, I want to see that fight, and I'm sure he fights Colby eventually. If Burns wins it, though, regardless of how it goes, Colby versus Burns would be another really fun fight to see. But for Masvidal, I've really not got much like the edwards fight was really appealing but now that he's lost to colby it seems pretty clear he's just not at that top elite level um so the ufc just signing like a lucrative contract for masvidal before this fight you know that mean he has that ability to like milk out be in the spotlight for that high high profile main event That's what they put on display this. That's what they got in the Diaz fight. Uh, In danger, though, I think that's more risky than McGregor, for example, status. Whereas you just know he can sell a million plus at any time, even now on however many fights he's lost in a row. Two, he's lost two in a row, but I don't really count the cowboy fight as that much of a win. So you could argue it's more than that. Yeah, so I think they're gonna have to try and feed Masvidal some wins to build up up that hype, but you don't want to be paying him too much bank to be taking on like unranked guys. So I find that really interesting. Uh, the fight that really captured my attention though, and that I've been thinking about since the weekend, Tim Elliott versus I forgot to write down his first name, Ulan Bekov, a fighter from Dagestan, Russian. Khabib in his corner. So was Islam Makachev training at the American Kickboxing Academy, that Dagestani HQ in America, I would say. Uh, Elliot came out for this fight, just so awkward, so bizarre, even in the walkout. And as soon as the fight started, he started kind of marching forward relentlessly with that awkwardness, super reckless And Ulenbekov just teeing off with the jab right off the bat. Um, Like the movements were so telegraphed and so reckless that I think this wrestle heavy fighter was like, Hey, I'm just teeing off on the feet. This is kind of fun. And started going for that was winning the round cleanly. And then the last minute, Oh, Elliot, like throws, he was throwing them all around that one in a hundred punch where you'd like sit your chin down and just wing a hook out and it landed and Ulenbekov stumbled, fell. Um, Tim Elliott landed the most significant damage of the round. And that really set the trajectory of the fight where Ulenbekov's corner adamant, like get to your grappling. What are you doing? And Elliott got a lot of hope and a lot of confidence to me, the second round looked mostly more of the same on the feet. Ulanbackov just clearly the reach better. Elliot's striking timing not there to enter in and out of the pocket clean and safely. Um, but he was catching Ulanbackov off guard with a lot of takedowns, not a lot of control. Where it got really dicey though is some Elliot started swinging the fight in his favor on the feet by basically grabbing Ulanbackov's glove in the clinch knowing he'd be held there and then throwing punches. And a couple of those connected and landed cleanly. And from one angle, like from the judge's angle in the octagon, all you see is the two fighters in the clinch and then the one fighter landing some clean punches. It's only on the replays with different angles. You see the glove grabs and holding. Habib absolutely furious in the corner. Chris Tyone, one of the consistently worst refs in the, mma calling this fight by the way um just, i've seen him make a lot of really bad mistakes and then third round i think a one or two more glove grabs in the clinch but when beckoff was able to get it to the ground had a rear naked choke attempt and elliot grabbed the glove again held the rear naked choke attempt off and was kind of able to grapple out of it because of that um So basically, a really threatening submission attempt, which should have gone on for longer. And even if it doesn't end in a finish, adds to scoring because it's a significant attempt to finish the fight. And it got thwarted by cheating. So Elliot got out of dicey situations and added to his thing on the judge's scorecard. And you know what Michael Bisping, former UFC champion and commentator, fighter calling this fight is doing? He's praising Tim Elliott calling it like veteran high IQ fighting moves because for a long, like cheaters often prosper in MMA. The rule set allow kind of calls for refs to give warnings and then start docking points. But it, it always feels like a bit of overkill for a ref to go, Hey, don't do that okay, that's a point gone. It's going to be like, hey, don't do that if they notice it on the first time, which they often don't. Hey, I told you not to do that. Hey, do not do that. If you do that one more time, I will dock a point. And then maybe two times later, they might actually dock a point. Oh. And you, we've just seen it so consistently in MMA that it, in a sense, Bisping is right. Like, The fighter has a very realistic chance of getting away with that, Whatever that cheating is, it can get you out of fight-ending situations. The most high-profile example being uh, Conor McGregor having his arm about to be ripped apart by a Kimura, throwing an illegal knee at Habib's head and getting out of it, and not at all suffering other than a stern warning from Herb Dean not to not do that again. Why wouldn't you cheat? Um... It just, it reminds me of so many things in other sports, like in hockey, what's the line between grabbing the guy's stick when the ref isn't looking, a couple rough taps to the shin, some cross-checks at the net. Um, you take advantage of that's a little too soft for the ref to automatically call a whistle so you can get away with it. Uh, in NBA, I actually go the other way. I think about all the fucking rip-throughs Chris Paul does Um just knowing how the refs call the game and doing something that goes completely in my eyes against the spirit of how you win the game is, but still contributes to winning. And if it helps you get the win, is it the right thing to do? This has been the thing on my mind all weekend though. While I recover from that rant, I don't know if you have any thoughts to add before we move out of combat corner. (laughs) Well, you mentioned Chris Paul. It's interesting. He does it on both sides of the ball. So he does mm-hmm. have
0: that whole offensive part of it that we've talked about. But similarly to what you've mentioned, it's a big thing in the NHL and then in basketball. There are physical defenders, Chris Paul being one of them, where they kind of test and probe the whistle and see how far, how physical they can be on defense before calls actually got, start getting made. And that's a huge piece of the NBA playoffs is guys go as far as they want and they force the refs to make a call. And more often than not, they won't because it is a playoffs and you don't want calls deciding games. So that's a big part of why the physicality ramps up. And it is, it's an interesting quandary. It, um, I play a sport that's self-refereed. Mm. So it, it lays the opportunity for a rampant amount of cheating. And there is for sure, without a doubt. Um, it's not something you solve unless you apply more officiating to sport which I don't think a ton of people love because it slow things down it takes away some of the action but there has to be that balance so it's it's a really interesting question and uh, one that can be applied to a various amount of sports and situations I don't have the answer to it but I'd love to explore it in the future or hear someone else's opinion on, what approach they would take. Yeah, it's so fascinating. It's, it's very, very hard to really nail down all the different possibilities and ways that you could take it.
1: One that jumps to my head immediately, though, there's no practical way to do this is, can you put an asterisk on a win? Can you invalidate it through some consensus to the a meaningful impact. Uh, logistically I've no idea how you get there but like in spirit that's what it feels like to me. Like Tim Elliott did not win that fucking fight. I don't care what two judges say and that is a frequent thing in MMA that goes beyond rule breaking. Um the 82 game season structure, seven game playoff series makes it a bit harder to disassociate like an entire ring say based off of one theoretically awfully reft or cheated game um but yeah i think something i would like to discuss and explore further on other pods but a topic that i'm surprising myself with how interested and passionate it evokes
0: one of the things that soccer does that you could definitely apply at ufc is yellow card system and that Mm. of a a kind of a suspension based on an accumulation of demerit points in a sense where ufc is you like elliot gets two demerit points from this fight and after a while it takes away from his pay or it takes away from his opportunity to have a a fight with a higher ranked opponent like that could be something explored and that was kind of mine that the idea that came to my head but yeah, definitely something we can talk about in the future.
1: Till then, uh, let's move out of that combat corner recap and then into football fan cave
0: Yeah, really quick stop here. The uh, the big theme out of the NFL Combine this year has been that the, the turf is fast in Indianapolis this year. A lot of guys running at high unofficial speeds. Um, I guess there's a different person working the stopwatch this year. There have been a couple times that have moved largely when the official time comes out, but some big scores, drawing eyeballs uh, to the 40 yard dash. And very early on, we had Taequann Johnson unofficially breaking the 40 yard uh, record running a 4.2 flat, which is just ridiculous speed. It does drop to a 4.32, I believe. So a pretty large variance there in terms of timing Uh, But then we do see a couple of defensive backs running the fastest two times in the history of that position. Uh, Tariq Woolen and Kalon Barnes increasing their draft stock, showing up the uh, straight line speed. Definitely a valuable asset as a corner in an increasingly vertical and fast paced NFL game where offenses rely on a ton of speed to the outside. And so having a quick guy either in the slot or on the outside is immensely valuable as someone who can cover ground and keep up with guys like Tyree kill.
1: Do they get cornerbacks to do it backwards?
0: (laughs) They do not, but they uh, do have other drills to simulate movements for defensive
1: backs. I want a 40 yard backwards dash for cornerbacks. (laughs) It's fair. It's a good point. They do have to flip their hips at one point. Mm-hmm.
0: But the big 40-yard dash that really <laughs> had the world buzzing, Max, I don't know if you've seen him run it, but Jordan Davis out of Georgia, uh, a nose tackle, 6'6", 340 pounds. He's a large individual, and he runs a 4.78. <laughs> good God. Which is, by comparison, faster than Baker Mayfield, who is a quarterback uh, and also like point whatever, point zero two seconds slower than Montez Sweat who ran the fastest time as a defensive end. Like it, it just, it's remarkable. It, it, it shows you that football players are like in the 1% of 1% of athletes. Yeah. Um, they could be Olympians in a lot of different sports. And just impressive that a guy at this size is moving that fast. It's it's just purely nightmare fuel.
1: Yeah, impressive. Not the first, second, or third that mind that comes to word word that comes to mind. Excuse me. That is just terrifying. Um, oh my god! Uh, good luck to whoever gets tackled by him. Seriously. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. So that's it for me. Uh
0: in, in our quick stop in the football fan cave, we'll have a little bit more combine coverage and then we we'll get closer and closer to the draft. But Max, you uh you got some hype here for our somewhat called fifth major, uh, but coming up, Indian Wells. What you got for us?
1: Well, uh the Indian Wells kicking off Thursday. So the seed dropping, or excuse me, the draw dropping tomorrow along with the seeding. So very excited to properly dive into that but a couple days out and we have our top seeds we know who's playing so i think it's time to get this hype train rolling out because this will be the best collection of tennis players to assemble under one roof in the year of 2022 mm. of course that's because it's happening in the united states and novak Djokovic will be competing I don't know when his last 1000 Masters event was. I can't really bring to mind any performances from him in any last year. Uh, So a couple storylines just jump off the bat right away, most of them revolving around three names, them being the aforementioned Djokovic, Daniel Medvedev, who took the win over him at the last Grand Slam, and Rafael Nadal who has been flawless in 2022 and has two wins over the aforementioned Medvedev in that time. Medvedev occupying this really interesting spot where he's the number one seed in the world. That's mostly a result of activity. He simply played far more tennis than Djokovic did in 2021 and had far more opportunities to increase his points. Um, just way more wins than Novak picked up over that year, but that wasn't enough. It was the win at the US Open, taking away that 2,000 points that got him close, and then Djokovic not getting anything from the Australian and losing that 2,000 that he had from winning it last year is what really sealed the deal. So it, just based off that, This number one, like if Novak had played at the Australian quarterfinals and he's still the number one seed in the world, that puts some doubt on Daniels Medvedev's number one seed for me. And what throws even more on it is the fact that Nadal's beaten him twice and didn't play at the US Open that Medvedev won. So I'm not saying paper champ but I think Medvedev has an awesome opportunity here to really cement that status, and he could probably use the points to stay ahead of those two. Uh, 1,000 would come in handy. And of course, just having Nadal and Djokovic, especially the way Nadal's been playing and the pressure that's on Novak to really come out here and perform among all the best players in the world is quietly or loudly. Just the most fascinating thing. Um, I don't know what the seating looks like yet. Uh, With Novak at two and Nadal probably at five, there's a decent chance they end up on the same half of the draw but really hoping we see those two play. It's always such fireworks. Uh, other names to just add to this hype for us, we've got Alexander Zverev, Stefano Tsitsipas, Matteo Berrettini, Andre Rublev, Casper Rudd, all going to be playing. Um, so yeah, Dominic Taim drawing out, which is a bit of a bummer, but been a long time since he played. Those are the top eight players in the world, though. They're all going to be there. I'm assuming many more. Cam Nori defending champ. He had a pretty solid February. Um, Yeah, looking forward to seeing the draw come out tomorrow. That's Tuesday, so the day of this pod goes up. And this is going to be the most competitive tournament we've had yet in 2022. So looking forward to that Oh.
0: Big big statement there, uh, but looking forward to it, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll keep you up to date as the as the tournament progresses, and uh, yeah, I uh, I don't know if I think Djokovic is going to win this one either. Just double down on the take.
1: Yeah, no, go for it. no majors,
0: I mean... even if they're if, even if they're fifth majors.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, in your own words, this is the fifth Grand Slam if Novak wins that. Your take might have gotten proven wrong before the first Grand Slam even happened. Going down.
0: He's going down. All um, right. Let's finish up here with some basketball talk. It's been a rough week for Toronto sports. Um, so we will we will not discuss Raptors. We will not discuss Leafs. We will not discuss Blue Jays. We will not discuss... TFC as as Max partakes in one coping mechanism to the Raptors and Toronto sports failings. Um, Instead, we will take another and talk about the rest of the league uh, and, and maybe just skip over the north of the border action. Friday night, DeMarcus Cousins doing a massive favor to all G League players out there, all uh, veteran players who maybe are end of the bench or not getting the opportunity to, they deserve. He gets it with Jokic of the lineup uh, on Friday night and puts up thirty-one nine and four in a vintage bookie performance. Uh, a beautiful spin move out of the post leading to a dunk was the featured highlight on Sports Center. Uh, but overall, a sweet game from DeMarcus cousins and just a shout out to him because he has gone through quite a few injuries. He never was my favorite player, but uh, always nice to see a guy have a great moment like that after going through some, some tougher times with the injuries and having to work his way through multiple teams. So good for him. And we'll see if he's able to produce any kind of special moments like that down the stretch and help the nuggets uh, secure a, a better seed for the playoffs. Speaking of the Nuggets, this just has to be said. I didn't have in the notes, but Nikola Jokic last night in overtime went against New Orleans going for 46, 11, and 12. <laughs> it's, it's just, he's a mutant. He's made from, like Serbia could just as well be Pluto for all uh, for all intents and purposes. And yeah, he is, he is awesome. And he's probably our front runner for MVP, as we've mentioned on previous pods. But continuing it to do it. And Denver hovers in that sixth seed. Uh, They're a game behind the Mavericks for the fifth seed and two and a half behind Utah for the fourth seed. Still within reach. Impossible that Jamal Murray and Michael porter Jr. are on the horizon for this team. So Denver could become a whole lot scarier in the next month or so. Uh, But we'll really have to see how those guys come back before we can assess what their ceiling will be come playoff time. A team whose playoff ceiling slowly decreases by the day uh, is the Chicago Bulls. Now, granted, we have not seen their full strength roster in a long time. They've fallen out of that one seed at Miami, but uh, a pretty indicative stat of where they kind of sit in the minds of NBA fans and critics is they are 1 in 13 against the top seven seeds in the East. I think they're 0 in 13 against the top three seeds in both conferences. They beat up on the bad teams, which is what you're supposed to do, but you would definitely like to see a better record against some of these stronger teams, especially as they drop. I believe they're in the, they're going to be in the three seed now, which would have them matched up against the red hot Boston Celtics. And honestly, I'd probably be taking Boston at this point with the way, with what Chicago has shown and them having the injuries and the way that Boston's been playing, but uh, it's it's a little bit alarming if you're a Chicago fan. It's been a great season so far, but it, it really shows you the the length and the doldrums of an 82-game regular season. Who knows? Maybe they get all their guys back and they're fantastic start round one, but DeMar DeRozan, as much as we love him, as much as I think he has got a greatest shot as anyone to make first-team All-NBA, he's had his playoff, Bruises in the past. And that could be something that Bulls fans experience for the first time this year.
1: It's definitely something we can't count out until we see proven otherwise. Um, for Chicago fans in general on this season, this it it might just be a hope-building year in the end. Wow, look what this roster did with all the injuries we had to deal with all year. Look at what we're building here. Um, and with all the free agent benefits that come with that, that has plenty of value and will lead to greater things for sure. Um, that a terrifying stat though, I I caught a bit of it the other week, actually, while we were podcasting, I had a Chicago Atlanta game on and just the inability to like consistently defend a pick and roll, I think is going to haunt this team come playoff time. And as much as I love Damar, like you said, there's only so many mid-range, fading, awkward angle shots you can hit in a row before it that falls out. And you can match getting your pick-and-roll defense destroyed five, six, seven, eight times, but without a stop that is eventually going to come to haunt you. And... Yeah, I, I hope to see otherwise Um, they can fall one more spot to that four seed where I predicted them and sit there comfortably come playoff time. I'd be quite all right with that, but uh, definitely a storyline to follow.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The other team we just want to check in with in the East is the 76ers who went undefeated until a scheduled game of rest against the Miami Heat for James Harden. How convenient of him mm. to not play the day after spending the night in one of NBA, the NBA's most <laughs> notorious party cities. Uh, but perfect timing for him. Uh, the Sixers do drop that game to the number one seeded Miami Heat. But Tyrese Maxey has really been the story. Besides James Harden arriving and looking like James Harden, Maxey has been the perfect fit. I mentioned it after their first game, but he's taken another level now. With seemingly the spacing and the confidence that James Harden arrival has provided him. He's been great all year, but really has stepped it up in the last couple of games. Uh in he's averaging 27 points per game on 65% from the field and 70% from three uh so far in March. Which is which is like you dial the 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 thermometer all the way up right now. He's on a heater. And I mean, if you're Philly. This is the perfect third guy to have yeah. someone who's not afraid to slash a little bit, um, but also can hit the outside shot. And with the James Harden for Ben Simmons trade, you you were hoping that you'd have one more kind of creator and Maxi has certainly emerged to be that guy. So really exciting for Philadelphia fans. Um, I was going down a bit of a rabbit hole the other day, but the Maxi pick was a conditional pick that was coming from, I don't even I remember. I think it was it OKC. Was. Yeah, OKC. And in the bubble, Mike Muscala hit a couple <laughs> dagger threes for OKC to win. They finished with a top 10 record. The pick conveys to Philly. They picked Tyrese Maxi. Uh, what a franchise changing moment that
1: was for a right. team that had some poor luck with picks in the past. Mike Muscala robbed from executive of the year that year is (laughs) how I saw it phrased on NBA Reddit. Exactly. Exactly. All right,
0: let's move on here. Uh, More quick notes. LeBron James has to put up 56. um, The second most points put up by a a player 35 years or older, uh, just behind Kobe's 60 in his last game of his career. Uh, 56 to beat a Draymond-less list golden state warriors team uh, in a very close game i mean it was really efficient and lebron was awesome but <laughs> this team around him is just simply not good enough as we've seen obviously a large part of that is his fault there's been news that westbrook is possibly being <laughs> pushed to the bench um We'll see if that happens. But yeah, Uh, a big statement win for the Lakers against a team like Golden State. They're going to probably end up in the 10 seed and we'll see what they do. But until they get Davis back, hard to really see what's happening. And this is just a stretch for LeBron to continue to add to his all-time points totals because you never know uh, how many games he'll have left at this point.
1: Did you hear the Bill Simmons take on Davis?
0: Oh, the injury! Yes. No, it
1: was like missing the playoffs six of the last ten years. Oh yeah, yep, yeah. Um, I thought that was pretty interesting. And in this LeBron, it's so stat. true. Yeah,
0: how can a guy you have in the top ten in the league only have made it to the playoffs in forty percent of his career? Right. It's
1: and when he's making it to the playoffs, it's with a guy like LeBron more consistently than not. That's two of those ten.
0: Yeah, like it, two it of says those 10 the number two guy. He, it just it shows he's not necessarily, yeah, he's maybe the best number two guy you could have in the whole league, but he's not gonna be a number one guy. And yeah, the fragility is just over and over again a constant
1: theme with him. Yeah, uh, we talked about Jokic briefly earlier, and that's that's really why he gets the MVP for me over MB and just doing the same with less. Um, But those two should not be in the same conversation. I know with Middleton and Holiday, Giannis has a fantastic um, supporting core. But I don't think those two bring a team to the playoffs themselves. And uh, Giannis and Jokic being the two guys, Simmons compares in the take for those who haven't heard it. um, Man, I sometimes feel like I'm just a negative person turning this LeBron praising into some Davis dumping, but I think all my friends would agree with that statement without batting an eye. So I should probably just accept it. Yeah. You
0: can do both. You can do both in this case. Yeah. We'll wait for Davis's return. Uh, Someone who has looked a lot better coming back from injury than the beginning of the year uh, is a rejuvenated Spencer Dinwiddie after being traded from the wizard's, To the Mavericks in the Porzingis deal, uh, he has been excellent. He's increased his points per game by five. They've been asking him to run some closing possessions for them. And maybe it wasn't the spacing big that Dallas needed. It was just another perimeter creator to take some of that stress off of Luca. And uh, Dinwiddie has really stepped up for the Mavericks on their stretch. They've been really hot uh, kind of since the new year. Of course, in that five seed, just ahead of Denver and only a game and a half back of Utah, a team that they may want to avoid come playoff time because just seems like not a great matchup.
1: I think <laughs> but, they'll take any team that's not the Clippers at this point and they'll <laughs> probably
0: get their wish. Very true. Very true. But Dinwiddie setting up a game winner for Dorian Finney Smith against Sacramento this weekend, uh, keeping the Mavericks rolling. So, wanted to shout him out because, yeah, another guy who had a tough time with injury quick start and looked great and then really faded as that Washington team started to regress towards what their actual status ended up being, but has found another role in Dallas and hopefully they can make the most out of it. All right, that's it for the NBA. We'll finish up here with some college hoops. I haven't taken a dive too deeply into teams to watch or had all started looking at what my bracket was going to be, but I like to take the approach of some guys this week during the conference tournaments. And of course, heading into the, the dances who are the NBA prospects that we could see as early as next year, stepping onto the court uh, straight out of college and, and what they get to display as kind of their last chance of maybe being one of the top guys and then going into a brand new challenge uh, in the association. So of course we've already talked plenty about Chet Holmgren and Paolo Bancaro. probably the one, two or two of the three kind of top picks that have been consensus decided upon uh, in, in the upcoming NBA draft. Of course, Holmgren he's averaging five blocks a game almost in college this year, like, and has shown all the perimeter skills that you want to see, but Looking forward to seeing. He's been a lot of big games already in his young career, but excited to see how Gonzaga is going to perform in the tournament. And then Palo Bancaro at Duke uh, was awesome. Not against UNC the other night in Coach K's final home game, but uh, again, another special talent. We'll see what he has on display. He is alongside a couple other guys at Duke, AJ Griffin, and Mark Williams, who are projected to be first-round talents. So Duke overall is a team that you want to catch in this tournament. They normally are. They normally have a ton of talent, but always got to shout them out when looking at potential NBA players. (coughs) Jabari Smith out of Auburn rocketed up boards this year uh, with his plays as 6'10 center. Um, He is a great two-way player and has shown a lot of perimeter skills he can shoot it from outside um feels kind of like jalen smith was drafted by phoenix traded to indiana javari smith feels like the plus plus version that feels a lot more guaranteed uh he'll probably go two or three in the upcoming draft depending on what team has the pick but yeah really, really exciting prospect that stepped it up and he's got a high level of IQ as well, which is why he's rocketed up the board. It's not just the intangibles or the physical elements that he's shown. It is the intangibles as well of, of learning the offense. And that was something that Me- Evan Mobley had last year uh, at USC was he wasn't always the flashiest player, but he played within an offense so well and was very versatile in schemes and that's something that Jabari has showed off this year at Auburn a couple other guys down the list here Jaden Ivey at Purdue is explosive and has great combo guard potential he's a little undersized for a shooting guard which is the position he plays right now in college but uh, he has the skills I think to be able to run an offense and then yeah just absolutely dynamite some Ja Morant type athleticism he's Got a couple of jaw-dropping dunks so far it's this year. So <laughs> uh, definitely a guy to watch. And then going down the list here, Keegan Murray out of Iowa, Shaden Sharp, uh, and Ty Ty Washington on a loaded Kentucky roster. That'll probably be a one seed. And then we got Johnny Davis, who suffered a brief injury for Wisconsin this week. Hopefully he'll be back in time for the tournament. Uh, he's a, a projected lottery pick. That is someone maybe you're, you're interested in taking a look at. And then uh, further down the list, we got Jalen Duran at Memphis. is a, a fun guy to watch, and Memphis has been gaining more and more talent the last couple of years. Obviously, James Wiseman, Precious Achiuwa, two notable names that came out of a recent draft. But Jalen Duran, uh, a projected lottery pick, and then Emoni Bates, who was kind of the next Kevin Durant since he was 14. Um, he is starting to slip, actually, in projected. Uh, big boards for 2023 because he's not eligible in next year's draft, but definitely a guy that you want to take a look at just based on the hype he's had for so long now in high school. And then we can't finish up our NBA prospects without shouting out a few Canadians. So we do have Zach Eady uh, at Purdue. He's a seven foot four center. Um, He's just a massive human being and actually do have a friend of mine who had, who used to play basketball with him in high school before he grew immensely. Um, so funny little story there, rep in Toronto and then uh, Andrew Nemhart, also rep in Canada playing with Gonzaga and a great combination player alongside drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren uh, and all the great players that they have in that program. So looking forward to seeing him, both of them ball out and hopefully raise their draft stock so we can add to the slew of Canadian talent and the NBA. That'll do it for this one. Definitely take a look at some of those prospects when you have the chance this week in college basketball. I got to catch up so I can be ready in time for March Madness. But uh, yeah, it's it's lovely to talk about it on a Monday night and we'll probably have some more for you by Thursday. So thank you, everyone.
1: You looking for a book to read though? Sure. I read this web novel in the last week that I've had so much fun reading. It's called... Uh, the Regress demon Lord is kind and it's about it. The story opens with the main character uh, who has lived a horrendous, treacherous, evil life, getting killed justly by the hero. And the last words of the hero are, if you live another life, I hope you'll choose to do kind deeds. Uh, and then the next thing the character knows he's four, 19 years old again waking up in his home where it all started before he left the home due to a horrible upbringing and went on to experience the plethora of events that led him to his evilness. And he goes, fuck it. Why not? Let's figure out how to be kind. Uh, The only problem being he has the brain of a complete sadist and doesn't really know how to do that intuitively which just leads to all these ridiculously hilarious situations uh, that I found really enjoyable. (laughs) So plugging that to end off this week's show. Oh, or anyone else interested, would highly recommend checking it out. Uh, If anyone does so, let me know what they think. Sports Next Door, signing out.